God to Ephesians chapter 2. Let's hear the word of God as it's found in Paul's epistles to Ephesians chapter 2 and starting in verse 10. Ephesians 2 and verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Can you not do something more for God? We are not saved by good works, but once we are saved, we should do good works. Salvation is by the grace of God alone, received by faith alone. However, we are saved to serve. We are blessed in order to be a blessing. To whom much is given, much shall be required. To whom much more is given, much more shall be required. Those who have been forgiven much should love much. Good works are the fruit of faith, not the root, the fruit. The grace of Almighty God is the root of faith. And the fruit of faith is seen in the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is the fruit of the Spirit in action. We read in Isaiah 1 verse 17, Learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. We need to learn to do good. It doesn't come naturally. You don't need to teach a child to sin. Sinning comes naturally. The human heart is depraved. For us to do wrong comes very naturally, but we need to learn how to do good. We need to learn how to be Christians. We need to learn how to do good works. In the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord Jesus Christ taught us, Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do people see your good deeds? Are people praising the Father in heaven because they see your light shining? In Colossians 1 verse 10, we see that we are to be fruitful in every good work, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in knowledge of God. Are you increasing every day in your knowledge of God? Are you walking worthy of the Lord? Are you pleasing God? Are you being fruitful in every good work, as Colossians 1.10 tells us to do? In 1 Timothy 6 verse 18 we read, Let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. Are you rich in good works? In Titus 2 verse 7 we read, In all things showing yourself a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, are you a pattern of good works? Are you maintaining a pattern, a habit of good works? Titus 2.14 says that our Lord Jesus gave himself for us, that he might redeem for himself, redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Are you zealous for good works? Titus 3 verse 8 says we should be careful to maintain good works. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. Hebrews 10.24 says, And let us consider one another in order to stir up good deeds and love, not forsaking the assembling together of one another, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. We have an appointment. You and I have an appointment that we will not be able to be late for. 
it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment. Hebrews 9 verse 27. This is an appointment everyone will make. No one will miss this appointment. We're appointed, and that day we'll have to give an account of our lives. And we, as we see the day approaching, we should be encouraging one another to good works. And we should not forsake the sending together of one another. James 2 verse 17 says, Faith by itself, if it is alone and does not have good works, is dead. Just as the body without a pulse or without a heartbeat is dead, so a Christian without good deeds is dead. Some will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. James 2.18 So we are saved by faith alone, by God's grace received by faith. But while we're not saved by good works, good works should be a fruit of that faith. It should be an evidence. It should flow from faith. 1 Peter 2.12 says, Having your conduct honourable amongst the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Even when people criticize you, they should have to admit the good works. We've had people who have criticized Krasavantu, who hate Krasavantu, but even they've got to admit a lot of the good things done by the mission. They say, yes, the fruit is good, but the root is bad. Although the Bible says you cannot have good fruit without a good root. But even your enemy should have to admit that they see good deeds. That's what we read in 1 Peter 2.12. We read of Dorcas in Acts 9 verse 37. She's described as a woman full of good works and charitable deeds. When people describe you, can they describe you as full of good works and charitable deeds? 1 Thessalonians 1.3, the Apostle Paul commends the church of Thessalonica, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and patience of hope in the Lord Jesus in the sight of our God and Father. How many people speak of your labor of love going above and beyond the call of duty? James 4.17 says, Therefore, to him who knows the good that he ought to do and fails to do it, that to him is sin. To know the good that he ought to do and to fail to do it is sin. Sin is not just doing bad things. Sin is sins of omission as well. Knowing the good we ought to do and failing to do it. In fact, the day of judgment, our Lord Jesus describes in Matthew 25 primarily as sins of omission. Day of Judgment is described in Matthew 25 primarily in these words. Our Lord Jesus describes it as, You did not feed the hungry. You did not clothe the naked. You did not care for those who were sick. You did not visit those in prison. Depart from me, you cursed into the lake of fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Those are all sins of omission. Good deeds that were failed to be done. We should honor God with great acts of faith and obedience. The greatest century of missions was launched by a sermon by William Carey, who was called the father of modern missions, and his sermon was summarized as, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. God is great. Honor God with great faith. God just loves to be trusted. Put feet to your faith. In 2009, I was invited to Ireland to minister during the 150th anniversary of the 1859 revival. It was an absolutely magnificent opportunity to travel with authors like Dr. Ian Paisley to sites where the revival took place and get first-hand testimony of the revivals in the places where they took place by authors who'd written books on this. James McKillen, Jeremiah Meanley, Robert Carlyle, 
and John Wallace began a weekly Bible study and prayer meeting in an old schoolhouse near Kells, which I visited, not far from Ballymena. The revival of Alston in 1859 began a couple of years earlier when Reverend Moore exhorted some of his young men, can you not do something more for God? He challenged him, gather some of your careless neighbours and friends to spend an hour with them reading and studying the Word of God. And so James, Jeremiah, Robert and John began a weekly Bible study and prayer meeting in the old schoolhouse. And this was during the long winter of 1857 to 1858. Every Friday evening these young men gathered an armful of coal and their Bibles and made their way to the old schoolhouse. There they first heated the fireplace and then they meditated in the scriptures and poured out their hearts to God in prayer. And as the coal in the fireplace heated the schoolroom, the scriptures warmed their hearts. And then the scriptures fired their minds with a hunger for revival. And these Bible study and prayer meetings continued for three months before there was any visible results. During that time, two more young men joined their number. And then on New Year's Day, 1858, the first conversions took place as a result of the prayer meeting. Then there were conversions every night. By the end of 1858, there were 50 young men involved in these Friday night Bible study and prayer meetings in a schoolhouse in Kells. I've been to that site, uh, to that schoolhouse, and I've got a painting of it on the wall at home. Edwin Orr later wrote that the revival which originated in the prayer meeting of these four young men in the schoolhouse made a greater impact on Ireland than anything else since the days of Patrick, the missionary who won Ireland to Christ. Many people had ridiculed these young men for praying for revival, but faith grew and hope brightened and the power of prayer began to be known and began to be felt and began to be seen. And at the local school in Coleraine, Antrim country, a school teacher seeing one young boy deeply affected under the conviction of sin, he advised him to call upon the Lord in private. And he sent with him an older boy who had found peace with God and said, can you help this young man find peace with God? And as these two boys travailed in prayer, the young boy was blessed with such a sacred peace and such rejoicing. He returned to school and with beaming face he reported to the teacher, oh sir, I'm so happy. I have Jesus in my heart. And as he said this, the whole class came out of conviction of sin. And one boy after the other, Santi slipped out of the classroom. And after a while, the school teacher saw them out in the playground, kneeling down in different places, like by the swings and by the seesaw, praying and weeping. And so the school teacher encouraged uh, two of the boys who were walking with the Lord to go out and to help and guide them. He says, do you think you can go out and pray with these boys? And they did so, and they knelt down with one after the other, and as they began to implore the Lord Jesus for forgiveness of sins, and for the sake of Christ's blood shedden across the Calvary, silent grief soon turned to some bitter cries. And as these cries of the boys on the ground floor reached the girls' school that was in the upper story, many of these girls, without even going to the window, felt conviction of sin, and fell on their knees in their classroom and started to cry to God for forgiveness and to plead to them. Pedestrians walking past the school in the streets heard these cries and came under conviction of sins themselves. And pedestrian adults fell on their knees in the road and started to cry to God, pleading for mercy. And pastors and prayer warriors were sought out and people spent the day in counseling and praying with these mourners. It wasn't 11 until 11 p.m. that the school could close its doors, finally. The next day, an open-air meeting was held in the marketplace 
And people gave testimonies of how they'd been converted and come under conviction of sin and found peace with God. Masses of people from the town and country poured into the market square. And the multitude couldn't hear the voices of the people on the platform, so it was suggested that they divide into four groups. And four different pastors in town preached to each group, and this was done immediately. One of the ministers testified, I never before saw in any audience the same searching, earnest, riveted look fixed upon the faces as they strained up to me from almost every eye in the hushed and awestruck multitude. I remember when I was speaking, asking myself, how is this? Why is this? A peculiar cry rose from one side of the square. In minutes, the whole multitude was overcome with conviction of sin, and the people were on their knees in the, on the gravel road. Ministers spent the rest of the day and night counseling, praying with individuals who were under the conviction of sin. One minister said, When the morning do- dawned and the sun rose, I was still wandering from street to street, from house to house, on the most marvelous and solemn errand that I've ever been sent. The next day, the marketplace was packed with an even bigger multitude than the day before, all of them on their knees and seeking the Lord with loud cries, calling for mercy. I went to a church where they said the church's upper gallery was in danger of collapsing. They had to ask people to go outside, and although it was a light drizzle, the people knelt outside in the mud, calling for God's mercy. I was at that church where literally the upper gallery could not hold the multitude of people who were there, and they were afraid for the church. And the people did not hesitate to kneel in the mud outside to call for mercy. On the night of June 1859, the town hall at Coleraine was packed overflowing. People were under conviction of sin, and they sought consolation and instruction and prayer from Christian ministers. And one minister wrote, Full sanctuaries, full Sabbath schools, full prayer meetings, brotherly love, increased generosity, additions by the hundreds to the communion of the churches. These are fruits that remains of the summer revival of 1859 in Colorado. When church services were concluded, most of the people remained and did not want to leave, and they had to have a regular pattern of after-services, that after service was over, they had to still minister to people who remained behind, wanting further counselling, a deeper life. I remember that actually in the 1970s, when I was converted, frequently at the end of youth groups or rallies or meetings or services, they'd have an after-service, invite the people who wanted more, who wanted to go deeper, to come into the side hall or to stay behind or into the pastor's manse. And there would be a, an after-service was normal. It was very common, late 70s. Keswick Holiness Conventions, we were going to uh, the Glenville Bible College in Constantia, also for Holiness Conventions. Holy has become a four-letter word in the church today. If you speak about holy, people accuse you of legalism. One of the first Afrikaans words I learned in the army was vetis, yes to vetis. The moment you mentioned the law, there are people who are screaming, legalist. Well, the, Bel- the Belfast um, town hall was packed to overflowing. People were stopping ministers on the streets and saying, what must I do to be saved? I've been a hypocrite. I've been a formalist. I've been blind. I have such a burden of sin. If I do not get relief, I will die and go to hell. So they packed the music hall to overflowing, and nearly a hundred ministers from all denominations filled the platform. Even the mayor was part of the seeking for mercy from the Lord. Soon the botanical gardens had to be opened for the vast crowd that gathered, a larger crowd than ever been seen in the history of Ireland. The town hall, not the opera hall, nothing could accommodate the crowds that came. I was in one church, local Presbyterian church, where they showed me that the 
pillars of the church had been shifted off their moorings and you can still see where the pillars were moved in because so many people crammed in for the dockyards that they, were, they literally moved the pillars and to this day the pillars of the church have been moved to the sides because the amount of people jam-packed into the church. They even invited Charles Spurgeon to come and minister there. It was with deep seriousness and concern about eternal matters. The entire city was filled with anxiety about salvation, a desire for prayerful study of God's word in the Bible, a desire for forgiveness of sins and to be right with God, to be clean before God. One humble, devout woman led 20 prostitutes, 20 harlots to salvation, rescued them out of sin and misery, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. One pastor reported the joy of converts, the cries of penitents, the wailing of friends, the Holy Ghost was indeed coming like a rushing mighty wind. We saw their eyes beaming with the light of heaven. Their light shone like that of angels. Their hearts were heaving with the love of Jesus. Their hands clapping with joy before the God of heaven. It was a foretaste of heaven. All was in accordance with order. Nothing was extravagant. God was there. We all bowed before him. To him alone belongs all the glory. There were services where people came under such conviction of sin that they broke down during the singing of hymns and could not continue. Such as singing the hymn, My Body Broken, Thus I Give, before communion service. And the whole congregation came under such weeping they could not complete the hymn. One man who was converted became most anxious for the conversion of his fellow workers in the mill. But his fellow workers mocked him and swore at him and sang impure songs to distress him. But he resolved to pray for these men. Suddenly, one day, the men in the mill were astonished by the sounds of crying and weeping from their homes that were not that far away. So the business in the mill was suspended. The men rushed home, and they saw their wives, their sons, and their daughters prostrate, lying face down in their homes under deep conviction of sin. And crying out for mercy to the Lord, the men quickly requested the new convert from the mill that they had been mocking, please come and help our wives and sons and daughters to find peace with God. And they prayed to the family members, and soon the weeping penitents became rejoicing converts. But soon the work at the mill had to be stopped, because the men came under such conviction of sin that even the strongest men and the worst scoffers and blasphemers fell down, face down on the ground, pleading out to God for mercy. And this time their wives and their daughters and sons came rushing over to the mill to pray with them. And with tears of joy they returned thanks to God for his mighty works. And one minister wrote, Never before had I seen such seeking, such asking, such striving to enter the kingdom of God. One young girl sang Psalm 51, and the crowds gathered outside and wept and prayed and came literally walking and leaping and praising God. And our mom, a young girl of 11 years old, entered the school, lifted her hands and declared, Oh, I have found Jesus. I have found Jesus. And the other children began to cry to the Lord for mercy and fell to their knees. And a minister said, a year ago I was preaching to the dead, now I'm preaching to the living. Some young men planned to mock the revival by pretending to fall down and be stricken with guilt, while others were to call on the Christians to come and pray for their pretended case of conviction. The first young man foolishly began to take part in this blasphemous, mocked grief. He fell down dead on the spot, and what began as a farce ended as a tragedy, and the fear of God fell upon all as you can imagine. In Belfast, an old grey-haired man pawned his coat to pay for one bottle of whiskey. He went to the bar and found a young woman there on her knees praying. 
He left the pub declaring loudly, I can't take my whiskey there. But soon he came back and he also fell on his knees next to this woman and started to plead to God for mercy. And then a coachman drew up and he came in and he was similarly affected and fell on his knees and began to pray for mercy. Before long, there were five men in the whiskey shop calling out to God for forgiveness and mercy, praying on their knees. One minister wrote, We have now seen the wondrous difference that the presence of God makes. When he is absent, Christians are cold. Ordinances are powerless. Cynicism immovable. And the, where, the, where the Christians are dead, wickedness prevails. But when God comes in his love, grace and in his power, God's children are lively, tender, loving, fervent, zealous, and laborious. The means of grace prove effectual to the salvation of multitudes. Hypocrites are unmasked. The careless are alarmed and aroused. And the ungodly fly to Jesus. Iniquity unabashed hides its head. May the experience of the past stir us up to desire continually the outpouring of God's Holy Spirit. One of the prayers that was used multiple times in the 1859 revival in Ulster was printed up as a decision card for those who wanted to wholeheartedly surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. This summarizes the revival of 1859. They actually reprinted it when I was then in 2009. I take God the Father to be my God. I take God the Son to be my Saviour. I take God the Holy Spirit to be my sanctifier. I take the Word of God to be my rule. I take the people of God to be my people. I likewise dedicate myself wholly to the Lord. I do this prayerfully, deliberately, sincerely, freely and forever. Isaiah 55 declares, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. And the unrighteous man is thought. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. How did this great revival of 1859 in Ireland begin? With a challenge. Can you not do something more for God? Can you? Can you not do something? Can you not do something more? Can you not do something more for God? We all can pray. Most of us can give. Some of us can go. And whether we're called to go across the street or across the world, the mission is the same. Make disciples, teach obedience. Can we not invite some friends and neighbors around for a Bible study or prayer meeting in our home? Could we start a Bible study and prayer fellowship in our workplace, our school, or our neighborhood? One of the most effective, important things I ever did in my life was start a Bible study and prayer fellowship in the army during my national service. Out of that grew our mission and so many people ended up in the mission field. So many great things happened from that Bible study and prayer fellowship. Just meeting for Bible study and prayer in our bungalows every night. Perhaps you could make re regular witnessing a lifestyle choice. Always have tracts and gospel booklets to put in the hands of people at shops. Have some in your pockets, in your purse, in your backpack, in your suitcase, in your side panel in your car, in the cubbyhole. Always have some gospel literature to sow the seed, whether you're at a shop or a petrol station, at a roadblock, um, at an airport check-in counter, uh, whether uh, you're uh, visiting friends or at school, wherever you are, we can distribute literature wherever we go. Sow gospel seed. The gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Faith comes on hearing, hearing by the word of God. God's word will never return void. 
It's a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. Can you perhaps not do more worship? Sing a hymn before work every day. Read the Bible before breakfast. My first ministry after I got converted was Script Union. And there was a slogan there, Bible before breakfast. That's a good principle. We don't miss food each day. Uh, we should have food for the soul first. Bible before breakfast. Scripture before supper. Psalm before lunch. Can you not do something more? How about instead of revving the engine under traffic lights, how about praying? When we get to a stoplight, instead of just being impatient, how about using time to pray for somebody or something or some country? We can use these opportunities to um, pray. I was injured last week, Wednesday, my fingers got slammed in a door. And so Thursday morning, which is our March for Life, I went to the hospital. I didn't want to go to the hospital, but my daughter insisted I go. I felt a bit silly going to hospital for something as minor as a hand injury. Um, I'm of that generation that you don't report sick for anything. I never reported sick once in the army. I sometimes woke up in the sicker book in the medic hospital tent uh, because I'd collapsed due to heat exhaustion or something on, on patrol or route march or something, but I never reported sick. And so the idea of reporting sick is, goes against the grain for me. But uh, I took a book with me, uh, The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. And do you know, in that day, between them sewing up my fingers and, and all that sort of thing, getting the fingernails sewed back up, and they had to drill through the fingernails to let the blood escape because it, the pressure was building up so much. I read through the whole book, The Case for Christ, in that day, just on the bed, in the uh, x-ray department, when the, the x-ray to see, and yes, middle finger was, was uh, broken, and so on. Just during a day at the hospital, redeeming the time, I read through a whole book, not just a chapter. It's amazing how much time you can redeem. But I remember when I was in the army, I always had a book in my side, a panel uh, pocket of my uniform, and I'd pull it out the shooting range. You'd normally be in four uplossings, in one section shooting, the other three waiting, and so you'd only spend about a quarter time shooting at the shooting range. And I would read through whole books, and I could still remember the books I read. God Smuggler, Torture for Christ, books like that. I read these on the shooting range while others were just looking around. Um, I was fully concentrating when I was shooting, but when I was just sitting waiting for my turn, I was reading. Whether we were in queues for whatever, I'd be pulling out my Bible and reading. Amazing how much you can read if you redeem the time. Instead of just wasting your time in a queue, how about take a book with you, or your Bible, even better. Corpa diem, that's Latin for seize the day, seize the opportunity. We should take initiative, we should make a plan, where duty calls or danger be never wanting there. Expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Now unto him is able to do exceedingly abundantly, above what we ask or think, according to his power that works in us. To him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Let's pray. Lord God, we want to thank you and praise you for the great revivals of the past. We want to thank you, Lord God, for what you have done in the past. We pray that you help us to learn from it. We pray, Lord God, that you put within us the salt that will make us thirst for the living waters. Help us, Lord God, not to be satisfied with the murky waters of the world but to seek for the fresh, flowing, vibrant, bubbling, living waters of the Holy Spirit.
Lord, help us not to settle for less than your very best. We thank you, Lord, for what great things you've done in the past. In the days of Andrew Murray, and through the ministry of Earl Stephen, we pray, Lord, that you would do these works again. Will you not revive us again, that we may rejoice in you? Lord God, we pray that you would restore us, redeem us, revive us, refresh us. We ask, Lord God, that you'd make us more effective in your service, more faithful to your word. We pray in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Thank you, Peter.